the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Uh, hope you're having a great day. Hope everyone had a good opening day of Dove season last weekend. Yeah. It's, uh, felt good to get back outside. It was hot for most of the day, and then it clouded up late in the day and was just really, really nice. So, had a good time, uh, flying solo today, so to speak. Taylor, uh, this is just going to be it, folks. We're going to have to deal with it. She's got school until she gets all that stuff settled and smoothed out. We're going to give her some time to, uh, where she doesn't have to, responsibility of doing the show. So we'll get through today. We've got uh, Mr. David Whitaker, uh, who was with SCDNR for 41 years, uh, talking about shrimp. We all like to eat them and all, and and never done it. So with shrimp season coming up, figured it'd be a good thing to do. So we're going to spend some time talking about shrimp on the show. And I do have a good calendar. And uh, Taylor will be back with us when she can. I'm sure she's. She's uh she's wishing probably about <laughs> she's wishing she was with us. Um in a in a kind of a reversal and something we need to keep track of, along with some other stuff that's going on. We've talked about the South Atlantic Fisheries Management Council closing trying to close bottom fishing off the coast of South Carolina, impose a twelve mile an hour speed limit from the coast all the way up to sixty plus or minus miles off the coast or because the right whales. We had a had kind of a uh, a thing happen last Saturday. Uh, there have been there's been avian bird flu has been in can, some Canadian provinces, and so the USDA APHIS, which is the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, had said you know if you're if you're hunting migratory waterfowl in Canada, you know in these specific provinces and areas, and they had a very complex map and all said you would not be able to bring those any birds harvested in there back to the United States, and that's where they kind of left it. And it assured everybody they weren't going to do anything more. And then uh, last Saturday at 12.58, Ducks Unlimited broke this news that the import, and, and, and this is, I don't think this is, there's any mincing words about this, the import of hunter-harvested game birds from Canada has been effectively closed. So the USDA APHIS announced that effective immediately game birds taken by hunters in Canada will not be permitted to enter the United States regardless of the province in which they were taken. This reverses a statement a week ago that imports would only be restricted on birds taken in highly pathogenic avian influenza priority control zones. Hunters are left to wonder why APHIS would reverse course on such a consequential decision announced after hours on a holiday weekend with zero notice or opportunity to be heard from stakeholders. That was what C- Ducks Unlimited CEO Adam Putnam said. DU members are justifiably upset by the absence of science 
and the total lack of transparency around the sweeping regulation does not appear to have even included the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in its development. And you can, there's a link out here. Um, oh, ducks.org, and, and if you go to ducks.org, uh, trying to find out where it was. I copied this from a link. It's on their page. It's in the news section. Um, so, yeah, just just kind of funny. And, and kind of funny. The funny part is, is we're talking about migratory waterfowl here. You know, every duck in Canada is going to migrate across the United States, down into Central America, or, you know. It's going to happen. We're right on the front edge of the migratory season anyway. And they're going to ban anything killed in Canada from coming back in the U.S. when in just a week or so they're all going to start coming here all on their own. I don't know what's going on. This is one of those head scratchers. Um, it would be interesting to keep up with this, but just just be aware. Get involved You know, if you, if you like ducks. Get involved with Ducks Limited Delta Waterfowl if you're interested in deer. You got National Deer Alliance. You've got, you know, all these organizations at Rocky Mountain Elf Federation. Uh, get involved so you can stay uh, stay up on what's going on, or at least subscribe to somebody's newsletter if you don't join. Because some of this stuff's going on right now is is you just gotta wonder what's what in the world they're talking about, and and why are they making some of these decisions? But yeah, we gotta as of right now, you cannot hunt in Canada and bring back a duck or a goose, period. Uh, don't understand. Um, I do have a calendar. I'm going to go ahead and jump on it right quick. Brought to you by Capital City Lake Murray Country. Um, the U.S. Forest Service, Francis Marion, and Sumter National Forests have opened the application deadlines for the youth and, let's see, yeah, it's the Tibwin Youth Deer Hunts. Uh, it's only uh, the not you can apply up to September twelfth. It's a paper application, and so you got to get on this pretty quick if you want it to them. Um, and you can email them also. But if you go to www.fs.usda.gov/scnfs. So in other words, you're looking for the Forest Service, USDA government, Sacana National Forest Service, or the you can find the applications for those things. I understand they're pretty fun hunts. Um, the Jeff Bailey Memorial Fishing Tournament, September 17th, starting at safe daylight until two o'clock. It's on Lake Bowen. It is actually put on by the city of Inman, so you can find more information there, which is www.cityofinman.org. Um, entry fee is $100 per team plus $10 big, $10 big fish optional. And, um, they got some rules here you can, uh, you can read over and, and figure out if you want to fish it. The, it is time for the lakeside, streamside, beach, river sweep in South Carolina. It's all happening September 17th. It's the 33rd annual beach sweep, river sweep. They're having a lakeside litter suite on Lake Murray. Uh, volunteers needed. They, the Tiger River Foundation is having one out here at Roebuck, South Carolina on the 17th. 
If you go to Beach Sweep, Beach Sweep River Sweep, it's a sweep dash scdnr.hub.arcgis.com. But if you do Beach Sweep River Sweep South Carolina, it'll take you. They don't need any more site captains, but they do need volunteers at some of the locations. And you can pick locations along the beach, or you can pick any number of locations uh, along the coast. And it's one of those things where you're just, you know, hey, just picking up trash. And they pick it up an inordinate amount of trash. It's amazing. But they have they have lists of, of all the locations, and there's there's bound to be one near you. They have an inland coordinator and a coastal coordinator. And they'd love to have you come out and pick up some trash. Let's see. I thought they had some statistics here, but they don't. So anyway, it's just some, oh yeah, 11,235 30 pounds of trash last year. So, and the 2021 one. Uh, coming up on the 18th, uh, on Lake Hartwell, specifically anywhere on Lake Hartwell, is the Strike King 2022 bag, Big Bass Challenge. Um, the way site's going to be Green Pond Landing. They have some weigh-in periods. They have some entry fees. So if you go to Strike King, um, you can uh, you can look up the information. Enter if you want to. They have weigh periods like 7 to 9, 9 to 11, 11 to 1, and 1 to 3, where the biggest bass that comes in during that time wins the cash prize. And they have some other stuff. And they have a pro night the night before on the 17th from 4 to 7 at the Green Pond Landing in Amphitheater where you have registration and gift card pickup. That's a good one. Um, gosh, passed really quick. And I'm not going to have time to get to it. So we'll just save that for later because it's just uh, it's something that can't wait. But anyway, we're going to talk about shrimp for the rest of the show. Uh, stay tuned. we got some recipes and Hopefully you'll learn something and uh, and know when you eat one of those wild-caught South Carolina shrimp exactly where it's coming from and how it got to your plate. So hang on, more woods and water South Carolina on the other side of the break. Well, folks, we... Uh, as I was talking to my guest off the air, it's it's the outdoors is is I don't want to say it's an onion because onions make me cry and I don't like to cry when I'm cooking. Uh, but but the outdoors, the more layers you peel off, the more there the more information, the more things there are to talk about. And this is one of those things that I've I've had on my list to, to get to. I've never been able to get to it until now, so we're going to fit it in now. And it's about something we if you like seafood, you probably like these. We like to eat them. We can. We can boil them, we can fry them, we can, uh, oh my gosh, you can eat them, I would eat them raw, but, you know, some people might. Uh, Forrest Gump and his buddy, I mean, Forrest Gump made a a killing off of it, and and that's shrimp. And, gosh, when when there are fresh shrimp at the dock in McClellanville or Charleston or wherever, and you have an opportunity to get some, you need to get some, because there's nothing like fresh shrimp in his as uh, even a once frozen shrimp is as good as a fresh shrimp, I've been told. So don't hesitate to freeze them and use them during the year. But 
Now, I gotta, I gotta say thank you to my guest, Mr. David Whitaker. He's retired from SCDNR, but he's a very active volunteer. He tells me he's working on some stuff down there for him now. But he's, uh, he said after 41 years of talking about shrimp, he could talk about shrimp, and we're all gonna find out today. So, David, welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Thank you for taking your time to do this for me. Thank you, Roger. I'm looking forward to talking about shrimp. I'd love, love to talk about shrimp. Okay. Now, that's what you said in your email, so I'm going to hold you to it. Um, take just a moment, first-time guest on the show, and, and tell us about yourself and what you did for SCDNR all those years, and, uh, and, and then we'll jump into it. Okay. Well, I was first hired at DNR in 1976, and uh, – that first winter, we had a real bad winter, and it killed all the shrimp. So I didn't have any shrimp to work on that year. But uh, I, I uh, worked in shrimp management and uh, applied research for probably about 20 years and then started moving up the ladder in DNR, ultimately being the uh, assistant director for the Marine Division when I retired. Wow. A lot of years working for South Carolina then. Yeah, about yep. 41 years. And I loved every minute of it, and, and I probably would have uh, kept kept going had it not been for some circumstances, but yeah, uh, uh, economic issues. But yeah, anyhow, I, I'm uh, I'm still active and still concerned and and uh, interested in shrimp. I go down to labs, corral some of those guys, and we'll talk for an hour or so. <laughs> they probably hate to see me come. <laughs> How old habits hard to break. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we do love to eat shrimp. I mean, they are, and, and pretty much everything else out there likes to eat shrimp. I mean, if you've ever been fishing, you know that trout like shrimp, redfish like shrimp. Um, you know, you've seen shrimp skittering across the top of the water trying to get away from things. Um, seagulls like shrimp. One of the best pictures I ever took in Charleston was of a, and I don't know the correct name, but the seagull had a black head on it. Um, but he had picked a shrimp off skipping off the top of the water. And wild shrimp, if, you, if you've if you never really been in contact with wild shrimp, they have very, very long and what I'll call feelers. Uh, there's a scientific name for that, and I'm not sure what it is. Antenna. Antenna, there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a brown shrimp, and it's uh, the, the, the seagull is probably four inches off the water. I'm really zoomed in on it, and those antenna are streaming back behind that shrimp. And I'm thinking, well, it's a beautiful picture, but that seagull is going to have a, that's a meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was standing in front of a, a big aquarium once with some blue crab in it, and somebody put in some shrimp, and, and the shrimp antenna was trailing behind him, and, and that crab grabbed those antennae and wrapped them up around his claw and pulled that shrimp right to him. Oh, my goodness. And, I, and I'm convinced that must be a, a common way of that crabs capture shrimp. Oh, just reel them in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, let's, uh, you know, they, they, everybody, everybody loves to eat them. Um, and, and they're resident here in South Carolina. I mean, the shrimp, they, when you get South Carolina shrimp, is it fair to say that they were born and raised in South Carolina? Yeah. If you get them from a dock here in South Carolina, odds are, that, good odds are that, that they were caught in South Carolina. A few of the shrimp boats would travel to Georgia or North Carolina occasionally, but they usually sell their product in those states. So what you, you see, here is usually caught here. I got you. Well, there's a there's a great DNR has a great. Um, I understand it's a pamphlet. You can download it. It's a PDF off their website, 
It's Sea Science. It's an informational educational series from the Marine Resources Division, South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, and it's titled very simply Shrimp in South Carolina. And, and I asked Mr. Whitaker if he'd come on and kind of run through this and just give us a, an overview of shrimp. So like I, like I was telling him, the next time somebody's sitting down to a shrimp dinner, and it's it's in November, and that shrimp is about five inches long and just as juicy and all, that, that that's a white shrimp and they're bigger in the wintertime. So that's what we're after, David. You think you can get us there? Sure. <laughs> well, okay. Tell us, well, yeah, tell us what kind of shrimp we have in here and just kind of take us through their early early life stuff. Well, we these are what we call pinead shrimp. They're okay. Three, three of those, three species, the white shrimp, the pink shrimp, and the brown shrimp. And uh, pinks are fairly rare. They like a sandy bottom like North Carolina has in the sounds ah. and down down in the Keys of Florida. Uh, so we don't have many of those, but, but our pre- predominant shrimp are white shrimp and, and brown shrimp. With the white shrimp being uh, caught two times a year, we have a, uh, a run of uh, what we call the row shrimp in, in um, May and June. These are the spawners, and they're really big. They're, they're uh, you know, 15, 20 to the pound. Okay. And uh, – uh, then their larvae will come in over the summer and, and start growing up in the tidal creeks. The larvae are transported by the tides up into the upper reaches of the estuaries. The shrimp settle out and start growing. And uh, But they're, uh, in the ocean, the brown shrimp are starting to move out about that time. And uh, that's the bulk of the summer catch, although that the catch of brown shrimp has been going down over the last two decades. Uh, and, and we believe, I believe, it has to do with uh, warmer winters. It, it's, okay. a, it's a long story, but I think they they require some uh, cold water temperatures in the winter to to uh, uh, complete their migration into the estuary. But aside from that, and we still have them. Okay. Uh, just not what we used to have. And uh, North Carolina has more because it's cooler up there. Sure. But uh, so in the fall, the uh, the young white shrimp that, that was spawned in the spring was starting to grow, and uh, usually they'll be about the uh, first of September. They'll be about four or five inches, maybe a little bigger. Uh, one thing we learned over the years is when you don't have many of them, they grow bigger, grow faster. Okay. Uh, and if they're really, really abundant, their growth rates are slowed down. Uh, and I think it's competition for food sure. and space in the creeks. But at any rate, they Caring. that's uh, – when our uh, shrimp baiting fishery starts in the fall, okay. in September, and and the commercial trawling for shrimp uh, peaks in September, October, November, uh, uh, and clearly the later you wait in the, in the year to buy your shrimp, the most likely the bigger they're going to be. Okay. Uh, so uh, if you want really big shrimp, buy those spring shrimp, but they're expensive. <laughs> yeah, they but are. If you want to. Get the, if you like the creek, some people like the creek shrimp, you know, the smaller shrimp for a creole or something. That, sure. Uh, shrimp salad. Yeah, you can get them in August or September perhaps. Yeah. Right. So, uh, that's, that's the life history in a nutshell there. there okay. Uh, those, as, uh, well, one interesting thing about white shrimp is, and we've done a lot of work on this, is, uh, the adults, if they're not caught by somebody, they're going to migrate to Florida. Really? And, uh, yeah, we we've done tagging. I, my group tagged over forty thousand shrimp, and uh, we uh, had several thousand returns from as far south as Cape Canaveral. And uh, 
you could uh, watch them go down the coast. We'd have uh, people reporting them from Beaufort, Savannah, right on down the coast. You could just about tell how quickly the school was moving by when the reports came in. Wow. But uh, that happens uh, late in the year. Usually as water temperatures decline, those shrimp start heading south. And, okay. Uh, but the small shrimp stay. And they'll stay, you know, and small being four inches or less, they'll stay in the estuaries over winter to become our next year's spawners. Okay. So that's, these, those are really important. And if we have a really cold winter, such as 1977, 1977. <laughs> or uh, 79 or 86, all these are 84, 85, those are all in, uh, blazing on my brain. But, sure. Uh, but we haven't had that many mild winter, uh, cold winters lately. But, Not lately, yeah. Uh, so we used to have a situation where we'd, we'd lose a lot of them. We'd have to close down the fishery and protect right. those spawners a lot more. But, right. Uh, uh, last several years, it has, hasn't been so much of an issue. Well, we got about a minute and a half left. Um, uh, and I want to ask you a question on the, the rose shrimp in the spring. As you're most of the time when you're taking out the – the intestinal tract or whatever you want to call it, or the shrimp that runs down its back. Those row shrimp, that's where the row is laying too, is it not? They're laying right along there alongside that? Well, the, the, the ovary extends well up into the head and right on along the back and down, as you say, down along both sides of the intestine down into the, almost to the end of the tail. It uh, uh, starts out uh, sort of yellow. Right. And then as they get... More and more mature, it turns brown to sort of a olive green when they're really ripe. And and if you find, and sometimes you can find them with a spermatophore from the male attached to the bottom of the shrimp. And uh, that's a, at that point, you know they're they're about ready to fertilize ready those, to those eggs. And I was amazed it says in here that a single female can lay between 500 and a million eggs, and yeah. they spawn several times. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, in mariculture settings where they grow them in tanks, they, I think I read that they, one individual would spawn six, seven times, but the number of eggs drops every time by about half. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're, uh, they can spawn right on. And, uh, you don't need a whole lot to, to be an adequate spawn. You, we, uh, we protect, we still protect those spawners regardless, but, uh, for a while. And, and once we, once the uh, DNR determines that they've had adequate time to spawn, then we l- let people catch them. And, and I know some people still uh, think, well, well, you're running the fall crop. But, I, but once they've spawned, you can have too many oh. if you have a whole lot of uh, those real shrimp. And oh. You can have so many that they don't even grow very well in the fall. And, wow. Well, hang on, folks. We're going to take a break, come back with more about shrimp with uh, David Whitaker from DNR. Hang on. And welcome back to another segment of Woods and Water, South Carolina. Thank you for being here today. I want to thank David Whitaker uh, for being here, talking about shrimp. Uh, David, so far, I, my stomach hasn't started to rumble. My mouth is, my saliva glands are starting to work a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I think we need to, I think we need to talk about eating shrimp. And, and, and when we were getting all this set up, you said we could even talk about cooking. So for right. somebody who Somebody who who 
who finds them at the local grocery store. They're, they're wild-caught South Carolina shrimp or North Carolina shrimp, or they get them off the dock in Charleston or McClellanville or, or Beaufort. Uh, what's, what is the easiest way to cook a shrimp? And what, Shane, how do you go about it? Well, I, I think the old tried-and-true method is just simply to boil shrimp. And, uh, um, what, what I do is I boil shrimp in, in, in regular unseasoned water. Okay. Just bring them up to a boil and uh, cut the water off. And usually I pour the water off pretty pretty quickly. The longer you leave it on there, the tougher those they're going to get. <clears throat> so, not that they can get very tough. But, uh, <laughs> so how long how yeah. long is that period when you bring it to a boil? You bring it to a rolling boil, drop them in, and let them boil for how long? I let it get get almost to almost to a bo- rolling boil, but I I don't know I don't know cook them. Okay. And, and then I pour that water off. And uh, I like to take uh, seafood seasoning at that point. I don't know if you want me to mention the name I use. But, what? Uh, Go ahead. I use Tony Cacheret. Okay. Uh, that Louisiana sauce, I mean, uh, powder. Okay. <laughs> but, and maybe you add a little salt to it, too. Some people just put salt. But uh, then, it's, you know, shake it up, shake up the pot and put the cover back on. Let it stand there for 15 minutes or so. and. And because my belief is my that I've learned from doing this for a long time is that okay. when you pour that seasoned water off, all the seasoning goes with it, and and those shrimp to me just taste like they were boiled in water. <laughs> so that's the way I do it. It's maybe contrary to what a lot of people believe want to do, but that sounds good to me. So yeah, you... I had an old shrimp captain show me that trick. Well, I mean, hey, old shrimp captains know the know the work and know how to. They know how to eat too, so I'd trust them too. We'll mm-hmm. go with we'll go with yours then. I'll quit seasoning mine in the water. I'll wait till I get them off, then season them. Yeah, I'll try that. <laughs> I will. I will. I have to try it next time around. But we have been. We we talked a little bit about shrimp in the first segment, a little about the different types of shrimp we got in South Carolina, and and you know their comings and goings. And I wanted to ask you, and and you, you kind of. You kind of let it out before I can even ask you, but you talked about the shrimp, the white shrimp migrating to uh, Florida, um, and I said everything goes to Florida in the winter. Do do they come back up in the springtime, or, or are they pretty much just going to reside in Florida until somebody catches them or they die? Well, my first thought back when we were doing tagging was that they migrate down there, and they, we have a cold winter. They come back and they repopulate. But so we went down there and tagged. Uh, about 4,000 shrimp, and I think two got as far as Brunswick <laughs> coming back. And uh, we had to just decide that they just didn't migrate back. And uh, uh, it, it was a little disappointing because I was trying to influence some regional management on the, on the, on the shrimp stocks. But uh, the more I thought about it, though, if there's millions and millions going south and only a uh, one percent come back. However, they come back whether currents or active swimming. That's plenty for repopulation. I got you. So I, it doesn't require a whole bunch of a whole bunch back. of. I got right. you. Well, let's. Uh, you know, it is as with most things in here in South Carolina in the outdoors. You know, they're they're renewable resource. Shrimp are renewable 
white-tailed deer, renewable. Uh, the thing that's probably the, the probably the most delicate part of anything is the habitat they have to grow up. And you, you spoke a little bit about this when you said, you know, when there's not many of them, they tend to be bigger. When there's a lot of them, they tend to be smaller. And that's, I guess that would be the carrying capacity of the environment around them uh, with the food available and the habitat available. And it's and, and those saltwater nurseries along the coast of South Carolina are so important. And uh, and that's where a lot of these shrimp have their, be- uh, you know, that's where they grow up. And it's uh, as we have a lot more development, we need to be very careful about how we manage those those uh, nursery habitats. And also take us, talk a little bit about those, I would say the early years, but maybe the early months of a shrimp's life uh, and, and how they grow up and, and when okay. do they start moving back out into the area where we can talk about some of the, the shrimp baiting season. All right. Um, well, when they come in, they're what we term post larvae, and and the white shrimp are about five millimeters in length, brown shrimp are about ten or twelve millimeters in length, so they're pretty small. Sure. They ride the flood tides in, and we think they probably ride several tides. They'll ride in a flood tide, settle to the bottom, wait till the next flood tide, and then move again to kind of the uh, hopping up the river, so to speak. But and they'll uh, largely go right up into the tidal creeks, right up into the very shallow waters. And you'll find them after a week or two with a cast net, maybe an inch, inch in length. Okay. Uh, and they'll stay in those tidal creeks typically for, for uh, I'd say, uh, six to eight weeks uh, till they get to be about, uh, I think millimeters, but about about four inches. Okay. When they start kind of turning and heading, and and certainly by the time they're five inches, they're going to be pretty much out in the rivers or down in lower reaches of the estuaries, like in Charleston Harbor. Okay. Uh, so the amount of acreage of Spartina habitat in those tidal creeks, those shallow creeks, is is really critically important, and it's. Not only that, but it's also that the water coming down the rivers. You need some fresh water. These these shrimp uh, do better at intermediate salinities, and uh, you, you get faster growth, we think, and, and probably maybe better survival when you, know, you have a little bit of fresh water coming down. So if you have a drought situation, okay, or or rivers are diverted for whatever reason or something, then that has some. Uh, Harmful effects on, on shrimp, no, no, shrimp, the crabs, and and lots of uh, fishes down in the lower reaches of the, the estuaries. So um, that that's uh, in a nutshell what what's really important, I think. And, uh, and what's interesting to me is in Louisiana, they produce more shrimp than we do, but they have a lot bigger marshes. But, sure. Uh, they also don't have tides. Our shrimp have to deal with the tides. Yeah. And uh, now what happens in the tidal creek is at low tide, the dissolved oxygen levels drop very low during the summer, and the big fish leave, but the shrimp can tolerate it. Okay. So uh, it, it's, I don't know whether it's an evolved thing or, or just luck, but <laughs> uh, those shrimp can can tolerate it, and, and some other species, too. 
and while the big predators have to go out in the big in the open water and, and don't come back in till flood tide. So what, that works out. What what are the differences? I know I know when you're when you're red fishing up in the salt marsh and all, you'll see shrimp scattering, you know, skittering across the top of. The, what is the difference between like a grass shrimp and one of the other types of shrimp? Well, grass shrimps uh, in the uh, group Palamondi, uh, which is and they just don't get any bigger than about an inch, okay. inch and a half maybe. Um, and whereas the uh, the Pinead shrimp, <clears throat> which are the browns, whites, pinks, and 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 some other species, uh, will get much larger. In fact, a fella sent me a big shrimp one day. He caught off uh, Kiowa, I believe. Turned out to be the world record white shrimp. It was it was ten inches long. Oh my gosh! And, uh, you couldn't hardly get your fingers around it. it so <laughs> That's a big old shrimp. Um, got about a minute and a half or so. Um, what are, what does shrimp eat? I mean, we we talked about where they stay, where they grow up, and all that. What are they eating on the whole time they're growing from that those you know millimeter lengths to the four inches or five inches where they start moving back out again? Well, they're eating tiny microorganisms in the mud, and, and in fact, they're basically eating the mud and digesting what what they can digest. That's why the the vein or the intestine is always black looking; it's full of mud. Huh. Um, and, uh, and brown shrimp are a little more of a predator okay. than white shrimp, and they're they're going after some of the uh, larger. Little crustaceans and things, worms and things. Okay. But uh, the uh, the white shrimp's more what we call an omnivore and eats eats uh, vegetation in and uh, vegetation meaning single cell little or small algae uh, and uh, and and they'll also eat the occasional amphipod or something if they can get a hold of it or or worm. Okay. Um, wow. Interesting stuff. Um, gosh, don't have it like 45 seconds. I hate to get started talking about something else. I tell you what, folks, let's, uh, goodness, we got some more stuff we're going to talk about. I'm going to get, I'm going to get another, another recipe for shrimp when we come in the next break. So get your pens out. And then in the interim, let's listen to the music. We'll take a break and be back more woods and water cycling on the other side of the break. Hang on. Welcome back to Woods and Water South Carolina, the final segment for today. Uh, we've uh, we've really enjoyed talking to Mr. David Whitaker about shrimp and shrimp here in South Carolina. And uh, hey, I, I got I got a new recipe to try next time I get some shrimp. I'm gonna leave the seasoning off until after. I'm gonna use Old Bay. I'm just an Old Bay guy. Sorry, uh, Tony. I've had some of Tony's stuff though, 
And it, it's good. So, you know, hey, whichever one you choose, you can't go wrong because they're both really good. But um, give us give us another one. I I, I want to hear you. I want to hear what other uh, shrimp recipe you you throw out there. Well, I would give you my wife's recipe for Ooh. for shrimp with a spaghetti with a white sauce, but I, I don't know it. I just <laughs> sit there and I eat it. And but, I would uh, and I'd keep that one secret. That one sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, that's her favorite. But, uh, I'll tell you the uh, Frogmore stew or Beaufort stew, Beaufort bog, whatever people call it. Yeah. Um, you can't go wrong with that, and uh, and the way I do that, I, I start out and, and boil my and boil my. Some people put put the uh, potatoes in. Okay. And I I boil those, set them aside, don't get them really soft, and then I uh, boil the corn. And uh, while while I'm boiling that, I I'm boiling also with the the uh, sausage in there. Cut up okay. the sausage. Right. You want that sausage to actually be in there with it potatoes too and but you want to pull those potatoes and, and corn out because they'll overcook and particularly potatoes and uh once you get it back to a boil uh you can drop those shrimp in for just a minute or two along with all the potatoes and everything else back in there for just just for a short period of time and, and again like i i season after i get it all out <laughs> i was but, waiting to see <laughs> <laughs> So, do, so do you do you go ahead and you know in a traditional way to serve it, you know, just some brown paper on the table? Do you lay it all out there and then season it, or are you seasoning it in the pot and then you let it sit in the pot for a few minutes? Yeah, I like to do it in the pot. You know, I I, I kind of like a hot a hot taste, but uh, okay. some people com- complain that I put too much hot sauce on it. But, uh, <laughs> anyhow, I, uh, yeah, I leave it in the pot and let it kind of steam in there a little bit, and then. Uh, but the, the trick is not to overcook those potatoes and then yeah. become sticky and yeah. messy. Or just kind of disintegrate. Yeah. That's the other yeah, way. If you cook them too yeah. long, the, the potatoes just kind of disintegrate, yeah. and you got little white chunks floating around that used to be red potatoes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now my, mouth, now my mouth is really going. Okay, that's it. Um, You know, we, we've talked about a lot about shrimp. We talk about, you know, uh the kinds we have here in South Carolina, where they live, where they grow up, some of the issues with them. Um, you know, you, we just in passing, you did mention that there is a, a black gill disease that they can get. Um, been around, but but in you really not a problem for them in the long term. Then, well, this this black gill is a parasite that infects the gills in terms of black, what we call melanization. And then they can't breathe as well. But as soon as they bolt the next time in a week or so, they'll get brand new gills. Okay. And, but those will turn black in, a, in another week or two. Uh, ah. So it, it does impair perhaps their ability to breathe and, and it makes them maybe a little more vulnerable to predators. Gotcha. But uh, it doesn't kill them okay. uh, outright. Very good. Um Talk for a minute. Let's take a minute and talk about the commercial fishery. Uh, you know the the romance of the shrimp boat sitting in Shim Creek or up in McClellanville or whatever. Take a couple of three minutes and talk about how those shrimp boats operate. Okay. Well, most of them, the ones, the larger ones at least, have what we call outriggers, two long extensions from the uh, deck of the boat. And those are dropped to the side, and and each one pulls. Usually one one large net, maybe a 50 or 60 foot wide trawl net, 
and uh, they'll pull a toe for uh, probably usually two to three hours. It depends on whether they're catching because they pull a little net, a mini net, I'd say. Uh, they call it a tri-net, T-R-Y, okay. on the side, and they'll sample every 15 minutes just to see what's there. And, and if they're not catching anything, they may move for but if they're catching a lot and they know that net may be filling up, they'll, they'll cut their toe short. Okay. Uh, so they uh, what's right now that fish? Go ahead. No, I was just say you know a net like that's their toe. And what? How many thousands of pounds? I mean, is it? Are we talking thousands of pounds of shrimp if they pull that net in full? Potentially, but most times you're talking about uh, something like you know a good catch. Three or four hundred pounds, okay. maybe five hundred pounds. So it's. Uh, I had, of course, I've heard stories of huge catches, but uh, <laughs> and and a lot of cat stories of free shrimping. And <laughs> uh, kind of like Forrest Gump. Yeah, I was just fixing to say it. I, think yeah. I saw that film in Forrest Gump. That scene. Uh. Yeah. Well, you know, after Hurricane Hugo and all that fresh water flushed all the shrimp into the ocean, the shrimpers had a shrimps sure. out there. They caught a bunch of shrimp. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, and, the, and the commercial shrimping is probably, would you say, on the downside of what it used to be? Any any reason yeah. for that, you think? Yeah. Used to go in the mouth of St. Helena Sound, for instance, and I'd see 25, 30 boats, maybe maybe 50, and now you see three, four, five. Uh, and... and uh, What's amazing to me is they're still catching pretty good quantities of shrimp in the total for the state. So I guess their their catch rates have improved some. Yeah. But uh, yet, yeah, uh, fishery somewhat in decline, mostly for economic reasons, uh, importations of foreign shrimp, driving the price down, and fuel prices going through the roof. Sure. Uh, particularly lately, I guess. I don't yeah. know how they make it. Uh, they used to tell me they needed at least 200 pounds just to break even. Um, and that used to be a pretty good day when they'd get 200 pounds. Wow. Diesel fuel was, you know, 50 cents a gallon. (laughs) Wow. Uh, $6 a gallon. That's a lot different. There aren't many new boats entering the fishery, and and, uh, you lose some every year, unfortunately. And uh, and there aren't – I don't know about the demographics of the fishery. My sense is that a lot of the older guys are going to retire, and that's going to be it. not many people coming into the fishery, but you never know. There, there, there could be some rejuvenation. <clears throat> Do you, let me ask you this, and you can probably give me this in a one-word one word answer. Would you eat a farm re- shrimp? <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say I will. Okay. You're probably surprising, but uh, uh, I, I certainly prefer a wild-caught shrimp. Okay. All right. And, you know, I guess you, the answer is if, if there's no wild caught shrimp, then yeah, maybe I'll eat some. Okay. All right. They, and it depends on where they're from. And, uh, you know, some of those shrimp are treated with uh, all sorts of things to prevent disease and, and, uh, and quality issues. And so you can get into some shrimp that aren't, aren't particularly good if they're imported and they weren't taken care of. Okay. So it's a little bit of a, uh, Rolling the dice on that. But, uh, <laughs> well, you, for the you, most part, go ahead. You can. You can freeze a good South Carolina shrimp, and it tastes good when you unthaw it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Them all the time. In fact, I'm probably one of the few people that will refreeze shrimp. Ah, uh, never have done that now. Now, I was 
talked a long time ago to put a little water in there with them. Yeah. Some people put milk in there. I don't, I don't know about that, but, uh, uh, but unfortunately if they use Ziploc bags, the, the tails are going to poke holes in there and the water's yeah. going to run out in the bottom of the freezer and your wife's going <laughs> to have a fit about it like, like mine does. I, uh, I have found that the little sandwich containers, the, the Tupperware, hard Tupperware containers, Oh yeah, they'll 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 easily hold fifteen to eighteen good shrimp, and mm-hmm. if you if you fill those things with water, well, you pop that top on, you get a little water spill out the side. Those things yeah. will keep for six, eight, twelve months, and it's it's they're really good when you unfreeze them. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Uh, God, this is going really fast. Got about two minutes left. Uh, talk about the recreational fishery we have in South Carolina for shrimp. Okay, well. You know, traditionally we've had a, a seining and cast netting fishery in South Carolina going way back. And then about 1985, some guys from Florida came up with the idea of uh, using bait and uh, started throwing bait balls in the water. And that shrimp baiting fishery took off about 1984, 85. And, and got, got to the point where there's about 18,000 people licensed. Now it's back down around 6,000 or so. Okay. Uh, but that's a very effective way to to catch shrimp because these white shrimp home in on that bait with those long antennae or, or whatever yeah. sensory organs they're using, they can they can come upstream and find that bait. And then more recently, there's this deep hole baiting, uh, deep hole fishing, where after the shrimp season or the uh, baiting season in December, these shrimp are moving into deep holes, and these guys are using these really large cast nets with especially made with the little uh, a band around the out around the perimeter to help them stay open in deep water, and they'll do quite well with this deep deep hole shrimping. Yeah. I will say, if you go shrimping in Charleston Harbor at night, uh, be careful of a, a rogue wave across the harbor because you will go swimming. Uh, I have been there, done that. If Taylor <laughs> were right. here, if Taylor were here, she could tell you, and her eyes were getting just as big as she was then. I think she was maybe four or five years old, and yeah, it was pretty exciting. Uh, little event there, uh, but I will I will say you know when you make those bait balls you you got your your poles your poles have tags on them uh, you're allowed up to ten poles any given time flatten your bait balls in the pancakes or else they'll roll right along with the tide and uh, the shrimp won't stay where you need them to be but it's it's right. a fun time do, do you uh, in the last fifteen or twenty seconds do you did you do a lot of uh, uh, casting for shrimp when you were in that mood, or, or do you always just buy yours off the boat? Well, I got mine off the boat mostly, but uh, we we did do a little study about four years where we went and cast netted up behind the Citadel and Ashley River, and uh, trying to assess that as maybe a way to to see how uh, we could evaluate the populations, and it seemed to work pretty good. Uh, but it, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Well, Mr. Whitaker, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show with us. Uh, folks, now you know what shrimping's all about in South Carolina. Hope you'll get the opportunity to buy some. You will take them and fix them either way. Just remember to put your seasoning on after you drain the water. As always, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can, and we'll see you back here. Don't forget the camera. Next week, more Woods and Water, South Carolina. Just 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.